When people think of Oregon, chances are they think of forests, flannels, and Dutch Bros coffee. What doesn't come to mind, even for most Oregonians, is the gruesome crimes that have taken place here. Today, we'll be introducing you to an Oregonian serial killer, Richard Lawrence Dick Marquette, also known by his alias, The Butcher. Without further ado, welcome to Nightmare Fuel. Before we get started, we should mention that there will be some sensitive topics discussed. If you are uncomfortable with mentions of murder, mutilation, dismemberment, sexual assault, rape, and the Black Dahlia case, we will give you five seconds to click off the podcast. Richard Lawrence Dick Marquette was a high school dropout and an Army veteran born December 12, 1934, in Portland, Oregon. Not much is disclosed about his early life other than that. Marquette was 21 when he started his life of crime. In June 1956, he was arrested for attempted rape and disorderly conduct. However, the victim failed to press charges, so Marquette was released. In August 1957, Marquette attempted to rob a Portland service station using a sack of wrenches. His guilty plea got him 18 months of incarceration, but he was ultimately released after 12 months for good behavior. I don't know, how do you fail to press charges? I think it's probably because like she couldn't get an attorney or she probably just like didn't meet a deadline or yeah that's true like maybe that. she had something going on yeah and then <laughs> the wrenches <laughs> it's um it's an interesting it's an interesting tactic yeah how many wrenches do you think he had in there <laughs> probably like six or seven no he had to be more than that i thought you were gonna say 16 <laughs> 16 maybe yeah yeah, and 12 months for good behavior. You try to sock someone with a thing of wrenches, and they're like... I think he like, did. I think he did. He, he s- like, socks somebody with a thing of, like, 70 ranches. Ranches? <laughs> Ranch <laughs> bottles, yeah. And they let him out for good behavior. They're like, well, he ate his meals and drank his warm milk and went to bedtime. <laughs> I think it was, like, he socked an attendant of the bank with like a wrench, right? Or sack of wrenches. And then I'm pretty sure they were like, he, he was quiet, he kept to himself, he was sometimes talkative. Joan Ray Cottle, a 24-year-old housewife, was born September 8th, 1936, in Drain Douglas County, Oregon. Married to Lawrence Preston, Lonnie Cottle, they had two children together, Jeffrey Allen and Sean Denise and they were raised in Portland, Oregon. Joan was the first of Marquette's murder victims, leaving on June 5th to go shopping for Father's Day gifts. She stopped for a drink in a bar. Joan's husband, Lawrence, claimed that she wasn't much of a drinker, but due to her mother being gravely ill, she had fallen depressed. She recognized Richard Marquette as an old elementary school classmate, and so they drank together, hopping from bar to bar. Joan was reported missing by her husband the same day due to her failure to return home. Joan Cottle was strangled by Marquette on June 6th. Similar to the Black Dahlia case, her body was blood dry, dismembered, then scattered throughout southeast Portland, specifically in vacant lots, with little to no effort in burying her body. Her body parts were found on June 8, 1961, wrapped in newspaper, in boxes, paper bags, and later even in Marquette's refrigerator, packed as ordinary meat would be. 
By the time Joan was discovered, Richard Marquette was long gone, fleeing to Salem in order to avoid persecution. On June 19th, he was deemed a federal fugitive and a threat to women, so Marquette was added on to the FBI's 10 most wanted, ranking at number 11. This was the first time the list was ever extended to 11 names. Well, so he really went in. This was like his first murder, right? Yes. And he did all that. And this was like his elementary school, like, classmate. Yeah. It's really sad. It's like, how, what? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, had the Black Dahlia case even happened? At this time? I honestly don't know. Because I'm wondering if the Black Dahlia case had, like, taken, like, sounds gross to say, but, like, inspiration from Marquette, or it was the opposite? Uh, It says it was 1947. So this was, like, 1970, I think. Yeah. Like, maybe you heard of that, but, like, it's it's eerily similar, and I don't, yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> Me neither. After a citizen recognized him from a wanted poster in a credit bureau, he was found by the FBI. They came to his new job at a thrift store where he worked as a furniture repairman, and he was promptly taken away into custody. During this arrest, he complied and stated, I knew the FBI would get me sooner or later. After being caught, Marquette stated he was out of his head dead drunk in response for the murder. It was July 2nd when Marquette led the authorities to where he dumped Jones' remains, and December 1961 when he was convicted of first-degree murder, receiving a life sentence. Three years later, Marquette was granted parole for exhibiting good behavior in prison once again. After his release, Marquette managed to get a job in Salem as a plumber's assistant and moved into Highway Avenue Trailer Court. The people who had known him felt something was quite off about him, but they couldn't explain what. Highway Avenue Trailer Court's owner had claimed that she always sensed that he was a disturbed person, while his co-worker claimed that he talked like a child. So he talked like a child? I'm guessing that's because he was a high school dropout, right? <laughs> well, well, he did drop out, and then he went to the army, supposedly. I'm pretty sure. What? In- wow. Whoa. Um, I mean, good on the trailer court's owner. She knew something was up. Oh, yeah. Also, oops, drunk, murdered a woman. I don't really think that was a good enough excuse, to be honest. Uh, Because, like, there are some people, like, like, get really, really drunk and sometimes do kill people, you know? But also... Ordinary people don't do that. I know. Plus, this guy literally strangled her. Okay. Yeah. Well, not okay, actually. But, you know. And then he mutilates her, drains the blood, and then hides the pieces all over. And he's like, whoops, I was drunk, guys. I think it said, like, he was drunk when he strangled her. And then, like, I think when he regained consciousness, he was like, oh, oh, gosh. And then I think, He's like, how about I make this even worse? Yeah, how can he make this worse for himself? And then he did. He did yeah. it. I think it said somewhere that like he dragged her to a shower where he then like dismembered her. Oh, Ugh, my 
God. And also, I understand, like, that when you're, like, drunk or whatever, the first thing you lose is kind of, like, your decision-making, but, like... I thought you were going to... It's easy enough... I thought you were going to say you understand. No, I do not understand him. No, no. I understand, like, the rash decision-making, but, like, this is... This is a decision, like, even when drunk, like, you shouldn't be like, oh, okay. Drunk to murder, you know? Yeah, I'm gonna kill someone. That's, like, a terrible excuse. I know, right? Jeez. Betty Lucille Wilson was a 35-year-old mother of 11, all of which were in foster care. She was born in North Carolina and had been living in an abandoned school bus with no running electricity or water, along with her abusive husband, whom she married when she was 16. Betty had finally had enough and stowed away in her sister's trunk so that they could live together within her sister's home in Salem. In April 1975, Betty went out to a nightclub, but little did she know that night would end up being her last. Her strangled, dismembered, and dry body was discarded in the Willamette River Slough. At first, fingers pointed to her husband, but he was confirmed to be living in North Carolina, so their attention shifted over to Marquette. Oregonian detectives obtained a search warrant and began their search of inside and outside Marquette's mobile home, where they found solid evidence. Due to the fact that her murder was so similar to Joan Cottle's, and there was an abundance of physical evidence linking Marquette to Betty Wilson's murder, not to mention his guilty plea, Marquette was taken into police custody. In May 1975, Marquette was sentenced to life in prison once again, and this time, he wouldn't be eligible for parole. Marquette claimed that the reasoning behind ending Betty Wilson's life was that because after picking her up from a bar, she agreed to becoming intimate with him, then refused later on. While in police custody, Marquette confessed to another murder in 1974, and so he led the police to the two shallow graves containing an unidentified woman's remains. There was no evidence that could help detectives figure out who the woman was, and since Marquette never cared to learn her name either. This guy is really something else. I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable, by the way, but... Okay, first it was, oh, I'm drunk. I dismembered her. Now it's, she said she would do intimate things with me, and then she said she didn't want to anymore. So I kind of had to murder her. I think you mentioned somewhere that it was like, oh, I was blind in a fit of rage. Like, when I'm angry, I, like, punch myself in the face. No, I don't punch myself. That's bad. Oh, my God. No, when I'm ang- Guys, please get her help. Oh no, when I'm angry, I, like, I don't know, I, like, throw a pillow across the room or something. I don't, like, strangle someone. That- yeah. She what? won't have sex with me. I need to dismember her body? Oh, excuse me? Like, what's the... Re- like, oh, my gosh. She withdrew her consent. Guess I have... I. I'm. Well, he dropped out of high school. He did, yes. We're just gonna make that the whole point now. Yeah, <laughs> high school dropout. High school dropout. He never like, learned about consent. Like you know what? I feel like you learn about consent even before high school, though. Yeah. Plus, that's kind of like a human thing to learn. Yeah, like you just kind of like back down when someone says no. Like it's not that hard. Yeah. You no. don't. You don't bleed them. Yeah, you don't, like, murder them. That's, like, this is so messed up. Yeah. Plus, he literally gets parole, and then he's like, you know what I'm going to do to celebrate? Like, I Murder another woman. Another woman who does not like me. Yeah. Remaining within the state penitentiary in Salem, Oregon, for the past 44 years, 
Joan Cottle, Betty Wilson, and Jane Doe's killer has never confessed to what actually drove him to commit these disgusting crimes. As his health continues to decline, all we can do is hope that Joan Ray Cottle, Betty Lucille Wilson, Jane Doe, and their families the best. This episode, we talked about an Oregonian serial killer that not many people know about, including most Oregonians. It's crazy to think that something so horrendous could have happened so close to you, and you could have never known about it. So concluding today's episode, stay safe and don't forget Joan Ray Cottle and Betty Lucille Wilson's names.